my team tells me I'm like at the edge of the solar system. I think it's important for everyone to know, like it's, it's okay to dream. It's okay to imagine. High school, I played baseball. I wasn't the best baseball player, but I learned a lot like from the people around me and I got pretty good. Hi everyone, I'm Zev Carlisle and you're listening to Voyager Talks. Today we dive inside the mind of Brian Turner, both as a leader of a sizable company and as a person who's the first to admit that he's not the smartest in the room. We learn why curiosity was central to his success, how he brings out the imagination of his team, what he does to stay present, and so much more. I hope you enjoy our conversation, and I hope you learned something that helps you on your own path. Without further ado, let's get into it. I wanted to begin by asking, do you believe in magic? Oh, all the time. I end every call with like, let's go create magic in the world. So I'm a total believer in magic. And wh where does that come from for you? I don't know. As a kid, I was a little bit of a dreamer. You know, I remember um, growing up wanting to be an astronaut. It was right in the heyday of sending, you know, people to the moon. And, you know, I would dream about that all the time of like, well, what's that like? And, you know, wouldn't that be cool to do? And I think it's just kind of come with me over, gosh, the last uh, many years. So, yes, total believer in magic. When I look at your career, and especially as a college student, but I think in general, when you're looking at a career in hindsight, I think it's easy for it, for it to seem linear. Like Brian was always going to end up doing this. When you think back to graduating college, was it like that for you? Or were there some tough decisions that you had to make about what to do next? I totally had to make a, a lot of tough decisions because I, I didn't really get it right. You know, I, when I was in school, I was studying to be in the public relations field and I wanted to be a lobbyist. And so I realized I didn't like that. And I'd built my whole career, like my whole college career around doing that. So then I had to like change. And I ended up having to wait tables in Philadelphia and um, do some analytical work for the Office of Child Support Enforcement just to bridge myself to get to grad school. Then I went to grad school. I wanted to be a diplomat. And that didn't work um, because I didn't have the right educational pedigree or the right network at the time. So I found myself graduating grad school, you know, saying like, oh my, like, I don't know what I'm going to do now. And then I got into consulting. And, you know, I think it's, it's kind of like you have to just approach each experience with like, what can I learn from this experience and just be flexible. So yeah, it has not been linear. I don't think ever for me you know, walk us through the roles that you had at Point B before stepping up to CEO, because it was a ton. And what role, what role would you say pushed you the most or did you learn the most in? Yeah, I started off as a general consultant doing, you know, really large scale project work, like big time transformation work. And I did that for the first four years at Point B. After that, I became an expert across our business in you know, troubleshooting really high risk projects for our clients. And then I formed, I got into a whole bunch of leadership roles. I, I was our chief service delivery officer for a while to focus on like, how can we improve the quality of our work? Then risk officer to the board of uh, stood up P&Ls or teams. I've overseen multiple teams in then I was president of consulting and, you know, now I'm kind of in my freshman year as CEO. And I would say of all of that, 
Well, definitely now I'm getting pushed, you know, beyond my boundaries. Um, but the, the first project I had at Point B, it was a, it was like a three year project, uh, highly political. It was with the state government, uh, the state of Washington, and it was just putting in like a HR payroll system in a very highly unionized workforce. So I had to make like presentations, big presentations, like two, three, four every day, you know, in front of like 10 people, 50 people, 100 people. And uh, the really weird thing is I, I came from Accenture before Point B and my prior boss at Point at, at Accenture, I became his boss when I was at Point B. And mm. so we had this interesting dynamic of uh, I was overseeing Accenture for the state of Washington and my prior boss, you know, now I had to figure out how to work with him in a different way uh, because now like I was accountable for his success. So it was mind blowing, mind blowing. Yeah. And what would you say has been the biggest challenge of stepping up to the role of CEO? Well, I think it changes your, um, your lens at the world. Like I think most of us, you know, operate in a, kind of a zero to 30 day view of our reality. And a big part of being a CEO is you're operating in a two to four year reality. You know, you're you're kind of in the future looking back at the present and trying to figure out how do you make sense of the right things to do. And then I think the other thing that you begin to realize is um, you can't really control anything. You have to influence everything. So it's a little bit of like this paradigm shift of like, yeah, you can give orders to your team, but ultimately your team has to move the progress that you want to. And now you become diplomat, ambassador, influencer, connector, coach. It just changes the whole dynamic between you and your team. And that part is the coolest part of being a CEO, I think. Yeah. And like you said, you're coming to the end of your first year. Walk us through the vision that you have for point B and what steps you're taking today to create the legacy that you hope to leave at the company. I, uh, I want to disrupt the consulting marketplace. And, and so, you know, how do we think about point B's vision? Um, I think about point B thriving at the intersection and really orchestrating value across an ecosystem on the world's biggest challenges. And I have this aspiration of I want our firm, you know, taking a lead role on things like improving healthcare, you know, making the digital experience more equitable, making the environment more sustainable. But I, what really gets me excited about it, I, I want to do it a different way. And I think about like 30 years of consulting, most consulting firms have operated from a place of control and competition. And a little bit in this chapter, I want to flip that and say like, you know, what if Point B could be the kind of the open source platform? Like, what if we could bring together our clients and our competitors for the pursuit of good? And, you know, it's a little bit of this aspiration. It, my team tells me I'm like at the edge of the solar system because no one's really thinking this way. But if you think about the the value of collaboration, you know, what is possible if we worked with our competitors and not tried to chase the same, not to try to chase the same slice of pie, but to actually figure out like, 
how can we make that whole pie really great by working together? And so the legacy I hope to leave over the next um, several years is, can we begin to think about cooperation and collaboration over control and competition? And where could that lead us as a society? And for my team, my employees, like I want them in the intersection of all of that, you know, really trying to figure out like, how do you make connections and bridge relationships and, and pull the best really in the spirit of solving the world's biggest problems. So I, I get super excited about it because, you know, I, it's, it'd be a wonderful legacy to leave the world. You know, all the people that need to play a role in that at the company, what mindset do you want them to embody? What questions do you want them to be asking to lead this transition? You know, am I working on the most important problems for our customers? Second, am I leveraging everything around me to solve those problems? And third, who can I invite in to help me solve these problems differently? And, and so, you know, that's, I think, where that vision begins is, you know, really kind of checking your ego at the door, at ego as an individual, ego as a company and saying, hey, if this really is the most important thing that my client is up to, why shouldn't I take an expansive view of how to solve it for them to be their enabler in order to kind of unlock their potential? And so that's the way I think about it is at a very basic level, you, you begin imagining what could be if you could unlock more human talent and more potential to solve that problem. One of my favorite things about this show is getting to see the different approaches of different leaders. What does showing up as a great leader look like for Brian? What mindset, worldview, or style do you try to bring to the table? Well, I think about my job is a little bit like developing the next generation of leaders. So from that mindset, I'm trying to build the most diverse team of leaders possible. You know, I read many years ago, Team of Rivals, and it's one of my go-to books. Yeah, that's one of my because, favorites also. You know, it, it tells you like you need a variety of perspectives around you. And then I think you have to take it one step further of like you, you really need to make sure you're listening well and you're checking your own ego at the door, like what you think is right. You, you, you kind of have to like sit in the moment of like, well, what is it? What does this issue look like through Zeb's eyes? How does Zeb think about it? What questions can I ask Zeb that, you know, allow him to see his potential and his solution to the problem differently? And so that's a lot of the mindset that I try to bring is like, I've got great talent and great human beings around me. My job is to unlock what they do best. Right. I remember reading that you said you're a good boss, but a great coach. And I think that sums that up perfectly. Yep. Well, thank you for that. It's good to get a compliment. <laughs> Before you're able to manage the, the people in the way that you're talking about and be a, be a great leader, you have to be able to manage yourself. I know you've done a lot of self-analyzing of the company, but do you self-analyze yourself? Yeah, I have a little bit of help on that. I, I use an executive coach almost always um, to be my guide and to make sure, you know, I'm, I'm there. I show up the way I want to show up. And so over the past year, you know, what I've been really working on is staying fully present. Even coming into today's conversation, Zev, like 
I took five minutes before our, our conversation today to say like, where am I? Am I fully ready for this conversation? Am I going to bring it? That's been a big part of my work, particularly in this freshman year as CEO. Like I have to bring it all the time. So a lot of it is like being fully present and getting out of your own head uh, because leadership is more than just a head game. It's head, heart, and soul. And, you know, and making sure like you're good from your gut up to your noggin becomes like a key part of like how you lead every day. And when you're off, your team knows it. And that also, you have to kind of give yourself grace if you're not going to be on it all the time. Your job is to catch that, understand it, and try to kind of get yourself really set to play. It's almost like a football player going onto the field, right? Of making sure like you're fully like ready to go. So do you have a process that you continually find yourself doing? I mean, maybe it's structured, maybe it's unstructured of asking yourself questions that help you kind of refocus and figure out the things that you want to work on? I'd say over like the last 10 years, I've been working a lot on almost improv skills of like, like really simplifying. If I'm dialing in to talk to you, as I'm dialing in, I'm thinking about what's the first thing I'm going to say to you? And what's the first question I'm going to ask? And ultimately, what do I want to learn out of the conversation? So I try to like really simplify it and then just be comfortable. If I'm fully present, you can ask me any question and I, you know, I can move with the question. If I'm not present, if I'm trying to overthink it, you're not going to get the best response for me. And, you know, as an example, last week I was on a big call with my employees and we were supposed to be asking questions about ourselves, our background, you know, our personality. And one of my employees asked me a real edgy business question. First question, first 30 seconds of the call, all the other 50, 70 people on the call, like you could hear a pin drop. And, you know, I was like, well, okay, so let's talk about that. And, you know, we jumped into it and it was great. But, you know, I think if I was in my head and I was thinking about like, okay, I have to have a clever answer for where did I grow up or, you know, what was my favorite book that I read? I wouldn't have been able to do that. And the only way I was able to do that is to say like, okay, it's here. Let's talk about that edgy question. It's a really good question. Here's how I think about it. That's something that I want to dive into because I was actually talking to John and he was, he told me that you're doing office hours with employees and that you're you know, really using that as an opportunity to ask questions also. So both being able to answer those questions and asking those questions, what does that mean to you in terms of your leadership style? Well, I think we're all, we're all on different learning journeys. And, you know, if you asked me the one piece of advice I would give to someone graduating college, entering the workforce, it would be like, be curious, be curious in everything. And you know, never let that curiosity take the back seat. And so there's a little bit of um, why it's so important to me is I, I'm not the world's best leader. I'm not the smartest person in the world. I'm not the most caring person in the world. I'm not filling the blank. So in my imperfection, like, let's take an opportunity to learn and explore that. And that's the way I think about it is, you know, 
that opens up new lines of communication. And, you know, in particularly if you feel like there's rank or hierarchy in a conversation, you actually don't get the best perspective because people are like, I'm talking to the CEO. I have to be really careful with my words. And I'm trying to cut against that and say, I'm a human being as perfect and imperfect as you are. I have different experiences, but let's play together. And there's a variety of tactics I'll use to do that. And some will be questions. And sometimes, you know, my employees will tell you, Zev, they're all on the edge of the seats because I will ask them a question. I'll be like, okay, Zev, so what do you think about the Fed's raising interest rates? And, you know, like, uh, you know, so part of it is like drawing that out from them of like, hey, you're with me on this journey. Let's agree to play together and learn together. Yeah. And what are some of your favorite questions to ask people? Oh, there are usually things like, hey, if we're sitting down two years from now, what are we talking about? Like, what are we doing as a company? And what thing did you do to contribute to where our company is? Or I might say, you know, how would you look at that issue if you were on our board? How would you look at that issue if you were a new employee coming out of college to kind of change your perspective. Yeah. And I'm just trying to change the perspective and I don't use this method, right. But there was a book a long time ago called the six hats methods that was created and written. And it basically kind of the spirit of it is like, you got to change hats, you know, for any particular issue to really understand it. And that book had a certain methodology to do that. But I, I will play with that a lot of like, okay, Zev, you're in my shoes. How would you think about that issue? I'm in your shoes. How might I think about that issue? And I, I'm trying to get to like a deeper level of understanding. Because once I get that, like I kind of understand like what makes you tick. Man, now we can really do some cool things because then I know, you know, how to work with you and to optimize your best result. And I think for our employees, it's really cool because they're just like, oh man, you know, I just got done talking about like how to solve this business issue uh, with Brian and it was really cool. And I think, you know, they'll remember that and maybe they'll bring that to the next company they go to. And maybe that will change the way we think about the hierarchical relationships and organizations. So these words that come to mind when you're, you know, saying what you're saying, you know, empathy, listening, curiosity, where do these things come from for you? I mean, is it kind of always with you or is it something you realize the importance of at some point? I had to kind of do it along the way. Like my, you know, I I would say my childhood was, uh, it was a tougher childhood and I was a middle kid surrounded by two really smart siblings. Like, so they could power through anything. Uh, and I'm super impressed with them. Well, I'm not wired that way. The only way I can power through something is, you know, being curious and exploring. And so, you know, that became like a little bit of my lifeline in everything I did. Like high school, I played baseball. I wasn't the best baseball player, but I learned a lot like from the people around me and I got pretty good. In school, I was a B plus student, but, you know, I took time to kind of learn what I didn't know and it got me into college. And and so like, you know, you build, you build things to like offset some of your weaknesses. And for me, 
that's, I think, where it came from is I'm much better like pulling ideas out of people and trying to enable them. I didn't know it at the time, but that's the way it's played out over the last 30 years. So, I mean, even you, you mentioned you have an executive coach. What's the what's the biggest thing that that's changed your perspective about as you've stepped into this role of CEO? And, you know, what do you think you've most improved based on that? I think my executive coach has really helped me with maybe two or three helpful frames. Like one is um, trust your instincts. You know, we, he works a lot with me on like, okay, this scary issue has come across. Like what's the first reaction that you have? And he'll do things like, okay, you've got 30 seconds to figure out like how to solve this big issue. What are you going to do? And what he's trying to do is like, get like the instinct out of me of like, okay, my instinct tells me to do X. And then we can examine like, was that the right answer? And, and so he's trying to like get a little bit of that stimulus and response and get me out of just trying to power through everything with my brain. I think the other thing that he's really, you know, trying to unpack is just we work a lot on just being fully there, like fully there. And you've got all of me right now, Zev, like there's a bunch of stuff that's going on in my world, but the only thing that matters right now is the two of us talking. And he's really worked with me a lot on that because, you know, as you mature, like the number of things kind of competing for headspace is just crazy. And the only way through that is to like block that out and just be and just be here. You said there was a third thing. Yeah, I think the third thing is just uh, make sure the rest of your life is clicking the way you want it to click. We probably talk more about my family life, my fitness level, my diet, my hobbies than we do about work. Because, you know, his perspective is like everything else is clicking outside of your work environment, you're going to be more grounded and more healthy to embrace the world. So it, he kind of crosses over from like executive coach to fitness coach to dietary coach. It's almost like a like an athlete, right? Like, you know, a tennis player will have like all of these people that the tennis player is working with to try to make sure they're they're at their best. And that's kind of what this guy does for me. I mean, in the last few decades, that's become, you know, realizing that as an athlete, you have to get the right amount of sleep. You got to get have other hobbies too that can take your mind off the sport. So it sounds like you're doing kind of a sim similar thing. Totally, totally. You know, I'd say if there was a fourth thing that we play with a lot is it is the power of imagination. And it, I think it's important for everyone to know, like it's it's okay to dream. It's okay to imagine. And, you know, we'll we'll kind of go on different, you know, uh threads of like, I wonder what it'd be like if point B was, you know, at the epicenter of improving the Amazon. What would that look like? What would it be like if point B worked with IBM to do that? I, I wonder what it would look like if we did this other thing. And he's always kind of pushing like how do you not look at the glass as half full or even that there is a glass, you know, like how do you just 
<laughs> really kind of think beyond the glass of like what's possible. And I, I encourage everybody to have that in any stage of your career. It could be a trained professional or it could just be a mentor. But like to have that sounding board is like, it can be super impactful. I was going to bring up doing this exercise that you've imagined the future in 30 years and, you know, the newspaper headlines that are going to be in 30 years and how you can position point B to be at the epicenter of what's going on at that time. Is that an example of using the imagination to change the perspective and get out of the moment? Yeah, I, that's the why I, why I love that question. Uh, because, you know, I realize that, you know, most people, when they're working through their life, they see what's in front of them. And while that's admirable, rarely do we have an opportunity to fast forward in the future and really say like, what are we really after? What's our North Star, both collectively and individually? And, and so it, it does change the perspective because I, then I get my team members thinking like, maybe we can make this change happen. Maybe we can remove this constraint that's standing in our way. Maybe this tradition that we thought was important in our past, maybe it's not as important in our future. And, and I'm, I'm trying to play with that all the time because what's the one of the first questions you ask me, Zeb? What do I want my legacy to be? And I think that binds a lot of us as leaders together. We want to create a legacy. So let's talk about what that legacy could look like. Turning to the future, what, and again, it's the end of the year and kind of transitioning to 2023, what are you working on being better at personally or as a leader in the new year? If there's one, like you think about leadership sometimes on a pendulum, you have different leadership attributes and sometimes you move too far in one direction. And, you know, right now, as you can tell from the conversation, a lot of my, my work with my leaders is like, asking them questions, being their coach, you know, trying to pull out from them the answer. Well, there are also times as an organization, they just need the answer from me. And so, you know, that's one of those things that I'm trying to work through is like, as much as I want to develop them, the speed of business sometimes requires me just to say like, Zev, I need you to do this. And I don't want to debate it. I don't want to talk about it. I just need you to do it. And so for me, that's not a natural card, but it's a card that is really required for me to be successful in this role. And so like, that's something I'm working on is like, how does it feel to sometimes be command and control? And how can you turn that on? And how can you turn that off? Uh, because anyone, whether you're collaborative or command or control, like any one of those in too much form is not a great thing. So you have to balance that. And so I'm working on that. You know, I'm working a little bit of if I'm living in this future state two to four years from now, well, I've got to create the connective tissue for my team of like, how does that inform the next zero to six weeks? So you were playing with that a little bit of like, okay, I got to take what I think the future is going to look like and kind of put it back in terms of like, here's what, what I need you to do next week. And so those are things I'm working on. I now want to transition to my final two questions. In the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? You can't be listening if you're talking. I got that advice once, and I think about that a lot. 
Uh, and you know, that, that has helped me at times think like, you know, am I listening? I, I had a client once who gave me, uh, I think she's the one who came up with this. She gave me Mickey Mouse ears from Disney World. And she said, I want you to put the, the Mickey Mouse ears on when you go into my meetings with my staff because I want you listening. And, you know, that has been um, a very helpful metaphor. So, yeah, I think that's probably number one. And I think number two right behind that is just uh, check your ego at the door. And you, you mentioned this, your advice earlier, and this entire thing has been advice. It's been wonderful advice. But let's be a little bit more direct as we end the conversation. What advice would you give to a smart, driven college student about to enter the real world? Or what advice should they ignore? I'll give you three. I think, you know, one, it's not the job that you land. It's what you do with that job. You know, I've only had a small number of jobs in my career. But I've approached each one of like, okay, what can I do in this job? What can I learn from it? How can I evolve? So that's the first advice. I think the second piece of advice is be curious. You know, to our earlier point, curiosity is the lifeblood of a future leader. And, you know, you, you need to be driven and passionate of like understanding why and the why behind that and the why behind that. And I think the third piece of advice is you know, we work in the space of human relationships. So every relationship you make, you have to look at as a lifelong relationship. And, you know, you have to kind of treat it that way. It's like, there'll be times where you're pushing against somebody, but you also have to look at it like, hey, this person might be in my network two decades from now. So how do I think about it? Because we're almost in every profession, we're in the business of building human relations. And so thinking about, am I building great relationships? That's really important to navigate your career. Well, Brian, thank you so much for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. This was uh, the most fun I've had all day. So thank you, Zev, for inviting me to hang out with you for the last half hour. If you made it this far, I want to sincerely say thank you for listening all the way through. Hopefully that means you enjoyed, and if you did enjoy, please consider subscribing and following on social media to catch future episodes. Now, before saying goodbye, I want to briefly share my top takeaways from the conversation. Number one is curiosity and learning. It's clear that Brian got to where he is today in part by seeing every person, conversation, job, and experience as a chance to learn. He also advises future leaders to always be asking questions to understand the why and the why behind that. Number two is the power of the imagination. Central to Brian's style is asking questions to shift the perspective in a conversation. He asks others to imagine what-if scenarios, picture four years down the line, and put themselves in someone else's shoes to analyze a given situation. Brian ends every meeting by saying, let's go create magic in the world. And it's clear that part of that magic comes from the imagination. Number three, being present. As you can imagine, there's so much competing for Brian's headspace and attention. The only way for him to manage is to just be present wherever he is and whoever he's with. Before conversations, he takes a moment to figure out what he wants to learn and remind himself to be fully there. Being present is critically important and like anything, it takes practice. Thank you again for listening and we'll see you next time.